avoid like the plague being identified with the swine influenza. <laughs> yeah, that's that is not uh, you know that's really not. I mean, that gives swine a bad name. Swine influenza. Well, you know that Hong Kong really got up on arms here a couple years ago when they had Hong Kong flu. Really, you know that the Junior Chamber of Commerce there in Hong Kong. Yeah, you know they really got bugged. I mean, you, you, it takes years to outlive that. You know, Hong Kong. That's what had that flu, right? You know, swine, huh? swine. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, before we go any further, you probably realize, of course, that uh, that we have a vast and uh, and uh, largely uh, enigmatic group of spies who report to us at all times. Uh, some of them more regularly than others. We get the Letters from spies all over the country. You know, guys who used to listen to the show, women who used to listen to the show, and they, they go to different parts of the country, see, and they, they keep telling me what's happening in the various parts of the country, which, uh, which is really, uh, it's like having a whole series of, uh, of uh, CIA agents. See, they're, they're giving us uh, uh, often uh, very covert information on what's happening in various parts of the country. And there's this one lady that moved up to Maine, and uh, she sends me... Uh, constantly various uh, local newspapers in Maine. Now, I don't know whether you recently, since, you know, most of us here in the New York area rarely get a chance to read truly, true country newspapers. Now, most of us read uh, uh, occasionally a person will think, well, the Long Island News or something like that is a country newspaper, you know, or uh, uh, the Bergen Record, you know. Uh, these are these are suburban papers, but a really country paper. I mean, a really country paper. I'm not talking about the Eastern Pennsylvania paper. I'm talking about a country paper, and they really have them in Maine. And so, I would like to give you a, a just a little rundown of what's happening in various towns in Maine, according to one of the country newspapers up there, which uh, shall go unnamed at this point. We don't want to give. Uh, uh, undue publicity to our agent who's liable to be lined up behind the Bull Durham sign and chastised severely at the next bean supper. And uh, so she she sends me this, you see, and, uh, and she says uh, that most of these papers up there have ladies who who are the local reporters for a little, very little community, see, and they send in their daily uh, little, uh, or their month, weekly or sometimes monthly column, you know, what's happening in the uh, in East China Lake, places like that, see. And so here's what's going on in Maine. This is just a, taken out of one issue of the paper. And they're not being funny. This is, this is the news, see. For example, East Hebron. In East Hebron, during a heavy thunder shower, August 12th, this is the last, she just happened to have this paper, see, she sent it out. August 12th, lightning struck twice at Thelma Lowell. The first time it put her telephone out of order, blew a fuse, and started a fire in an outlet which he put out. The next time, it struck the corner of the house, ripping a small section of finish board, starting a fire in the shed chamber, which she discovered immediately and put it out by throwing water on it. She was alone at the time and had to walk all the way to a neighbor's to use the phone. Here's a news note from Sweden, Maine. The summer youth pet show was held on the lawn at the town hall. Over a dozen pets were entered in the show. 
June's cat, Mahi, was the only cat there with double toes who sucks his toes. Beryl Craig's cat was the only cat who kisses noses. She received a prize for that. In Brownfield, Maine, on Wednesday, I went over to Stowe to attend a church meeting. I was 20 minutes early, so I stopped in to visit with the Tarbells, only a stone throw away. Gwen and I had a real hot-to-hot talk, and we found out that whenever she sees a pug dog, she thinks of me, and whenever I see a frog, I think of her. Ha-ha. Upton, Maine. Saturday, Ed Brennan helped Roland Bernier dress off a couple of pigs. Emo Bernier had a lady barber in the other day, and she trimmed his long hair and beard right off. And Sunday evening, Fred Judkins mowed the family plot in Upton Cemetery. In previous years, the town maintained the cemetery. Now they need some goats to get it trimmed off. <laughs> How's that for, for local main, main news? Now, uh, of course, uh, about this time of the year, you see, it's, it's springtime, and uh, the mind begins to think of places like Maine. Now, you, you, you may not think of Maine for years, but when spring comes, you think of these things. And before I go any further, I'm going to mention briefly here that this program, this show tonight, is about a very special issue of high import to many of us in this world. Wait till I get this. Okay. Read the opening line. Listen to this. Ah, all set. It had been a year and a half now, and I still had not caught him. Hook? Yes. <laughs> Lord knows how many times I'd hooked that devil. I'd seen him only twice. And even if I never had, the things he had done to my tackle, the strength of him underwater, would have been enough to keep me coming back. Three things gave him tactical advantage. The cover he called home, the water clarity, and his immense size. My fish, with what great conceit I called him that, lived in northern Lake Champlain on the Vermont side. He set up his defenses with a cave of rock rubble. The rocks were located on the perimeter of the remains of an old summer building, and that great fish lived there year after year smashing tackle, summer after summer, the great bath of the cold. I'm telling you, if I have read one, yeah, well, of course, that's the story, I mean, <laughs> that's the story. But let me tell you, every time spring comes, I, I think of something that, that I one time, uh, you know, when you have, in your lifetime, you have some extraordinary experiences. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm frankly admitting, I love to fish. I'm a fisherman. I love it. And I'm not a, I'm not a saltwater type. I just don't... Just, I guess I guess you never quite outgrow what you really were, you know? From the time you're a kid, you know, if you live in the in the lake district or you go to lakes and you, you uh, fish in, in fresh water, that's your thing. Um... Uh, I suppose occasionally people will make the transition, but it's not not general. 
uh, in my my uh, experience of, of freshwater fishermen remain, and they may go. I occasionally go saltwater fishing with people, but it it doesn't it, it doesn't have the same feeling. It's just not the same. I guess floating in a little tiny boat among the lily pads is an experience that uh, you just don't get out in the Gulf Stream. You know, with twelve thousand miles of uh, copper wire out, and uh, some guy driving a boat that has four hundred horsepower. It cost $15 million just to rent for five minutes. It's a whole different ball game. Just floating in a lily pants. One day, I had a lot of experiences. Do you want to hear some experiences fishing one day? All right. Enigmatic experiences. One time, me and my kid brother are sitting at the long end of a lake. There's a lake that was a long, thin one. that had a, had a, had a long, narrow bay that extended... There's a typical Michigan lake. Have you ever seen Michigan lakes? Well, Michigan lakes are often uh, sandy bottom, uh, heavy weed beds. Uh, often the water is extremely clear. Uh, they're not necessarily always deep, deep being in some cases they'll be 65, 70 feet deep at places. Uh, they run heavily to, uh, to uh, shallows. Uh, usually at one end of the lake where a stream comes in that have uh, a heavy growth of uh, lotus or lily pads, and uh, they they have bath. Well, one day, I'm floating in this boat. Uh, we had a rubber kind of a rowboat. You know the kind that, uh, that blow up? But this rubber rowboat, it was a good one. And my brother's at one end of the boat, and I'm at the other, and we are fishing for bass in shallow water. We're just drifting. Now, when you drift for bass or any kind of fish, uh, you are making absolutely no sound, especially if you're using some kind of a rubber boat that just floats on the top of the water and doesn't doesn't cause any uh, much ripple uh, action or anything. They were floating along there, see? And it was a kind of a warm day. In fact, it was very warm, as it often gets in uh, late July, early August, in uh, in places like Michigan and Indiana. High sun, and all around us were these farms. It was a farm just stretching off to one side of us. Then we're just floating along on the lake. Then unbelievable peace. Now, when you're a kid and you're 12, you don't think in terms of peace. It was just quiet. And you could hear uh, insects, they had the cicadas uh, occasionally going off, and you could hear frogs once in a while peeping and birds off in the distance. And, and we're just floating in the shallow water with heavy weeds uh, just coming up almost to the surface. You could see these weeds moving, these uh, weeds moving back and forth with a slight current. This water is absolutely clear as crystal and lily pads all around. My kid brother sitting at the end of the boat practically asleep. It's one of those wild experiences you get when fishing. Now, it's not necessarily a fishing experience. It's an experience, but an experience that you have when you fish is a special experience. Hot day, really hot. When all of a sudden, I notice off towards the west, kind of dark clouds. It looked like it might rain later. You know, during 
late July, early August, you get these sudden rainstorms in the, uh, in the Midwestern states. It'll just come out of nowhere, and it'll rain for about 10 minutes like crazy and pass and go, you know, that kind of thing. They, they, they really are thunder showers, and it's these dark clouds. So I didn't pay much attention because it was pretty far away. And we're just drifting along there. And we had gotten a couple of good strikes. And if you're curious what we were using, uh, uh, I was bait casting and using a surface plug. I was really into plug fishing. No worms for me. No way. And my kid brother was down deep in the boat at the end, sitting on the bottom. And uh, he, he loved to troll night crawlers. He had a big night crawler on there. See, we're just drifting along on bait casting and plug casting going away there. Uh, you're listening to a guy who, at, at the age of like 10 or 11, used to go out on the lawn and set up ball jars. You know what a ball jar, canning jar is? Uh, about 50, 75 feet away and stand at one end of the lawn and cast towards ball jars laying open. But you try to put them right in the ball jar with a with a practice plug. I used to practice by the hour, just practice casting. And I got to the point where I could where I could lay a plug at 50 feet, 60 feet away. I could lay a plug right on the top of a lily pad with no problem at all. Just, you ever see a really great bait caster? I mean, I've seen bait casters like at, at sportsman shows. There was a, there was a guy that uh, I saw here a few years ago at the uh, Coliseum that could make his his plug, do everything, but go out and get the paper, whistle Dixie, come back, read the news to him. <laughs> Unbelievable. But a good bait caster is a, is a real joy to see. Not spinning. We're not talking about spinning. I'm talking about the real bait casting with a Fluger Supreme, uh, Fluger Supreme Reel, four-pound uh, uh, four uh, uh, bait casting silk line, the real thing. And... Uh, and I used to use this stuff all the time, just practice. I, I got so I was very good. I've gotten a couple of strikes. When, when all of a sudden something happened, which to this day I have never forgotten. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, most people uh, who are, you know, there's, there's a lot of kinds of fishermen, is all i got to say. Just as, uh, just as many types of fishermen as there are bicycle riders. Uh, you know, there are people who get the $4,000 hand-built uh, French racing bicycle, and there are people who walk around with little wheels strapped to their feet. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, all kinds of fishermen, all kinds of bike riders. And uh, as a fisherman, I tend to be a, in fact, I'm almost exclusively an artificial bait type, uh, flies, spinners, plugs, and... Uh, you know, various artificial baits. And so even as a kid, I was an, into this. And I used to make my own plugs. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember one time uh, I entered a, a, a group of plugs that I made in a, uh, you know, a Boy Scout competition for uh, handicraft. And I made these beautiful plugs enameled. And uh, did you know that there is a hobby of people who make artificial lures? And it's quite a hobby, to tell you. And they're dedicated. I haven't done that since I was a kid, but I used to do it all the time. But So here I am. I'm sitting at the end of the lake. And, and when I was a kid, of course, we only really could fish on a lake like this every couple of, you know, like every couple of years when my old man would go on a vacation there. Boy, it was fantastic excitement. 
for me. It was just, just continual, just a turmoil in my gut. Just from, because all year I had been reading every, every sporting goods magazine I could lay my hands on. Every, uh, field and stream copy I had had been read nine, maybe ten times. So I'm sitting on the back of the boat there, and I'm casting. It's a beautiful day. And I see this slight cloud in the horizon. I think it's going to rain. Well, now that's a good sign for a lot of type of fishing. You know that, that some fish, particularly uh, smallmouth bass, will often hit suddenly when rain comes, just before and just after a rain. It has to do with uh, uh, barometric pressures and many different things. But uh, they will, you see. So, wow, you know, it's going to rain. So I'm looking over there, and Kid Brother's floating away there, just trolling his worm, and we're just uh, drifting along. Well, now, up on the hill, overlooking the end of this, this uh, lake, was a farmhouse. Those farmhouses just sitting up there, right on the hill. It, it was, in fact, a little bit like the picture that you you see. You know that that famous picture of uh, uh, what's that New England painter? Uh, oh, the one with the, the uh, I can't see you now. I can you see the little tip of your glasses over the top there, and, and the fact that your mouth is moving. Ryder? No, that's not Alfred Ryder. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the famous picture, I can't, he's on the tip of my tongue, the, the painter. Uh, he also has a son that paints. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm just drifting along, and there was this farmhouse. Now, we had been going to this same lake for like, oh, ever since I was about eight. And here I'm now about 12. We've been coming there every year. And uh, we knew, you know, the whole lake and the scene around there, and we'd rent this cottage and so on. Would you please hold it up and tell me who he is? That's bothering me, the name of that painter. And uh, I'm drifting along among the, among the lily pads. Here it comes. Oh, you had to bring it in. Wyeth, of course. Andrew Wyeth. Christina's World is the famous painting. It's the painting of the girl on the hillside, and you're looking at her, and you're behind her, and you see her back, and she's, uh, she's lying on the hill, sort of half prone and she's looking up at this house that's in the in the background and it's called Christina's World well that, that, this this type of farmhouse was very common out in the Midwest especially in Michigan and there were a few apple orchards they grew a lot of uh, cherries and apples in that area and a lot of corn it's, it's big corn country and so this white farmhouse was sitting up on the hill there and it's just a beautiful day just gorgeous and we're drifting along there, and I'm casting this plug. It was a, a red and white copy, which I had made, of a bassarino, which is a South Bend bait, if any of you know the bait. It's a great classic bass lure. Whenever people draw pictures of a plug, they're really drawing a bassarino, which is a, a, a plug with a fluted head. It's a, it's a, a diving plug. It'll dive maybe, uh, maybe four or five depending on how fast you reel it, up to, up to maybe three or four feet under the water. It dives. And it's a red and white head, has uh, treble hooks, and is a medium-sized uh, plug. So I'm, I'm casting away there and concentrating like crazy. And Because if you don't, you're liable to wind up losing a plug and, and all kinds of bad news weeds and stuff. So I'm casting and dropping it at the edge of the 
at the edge of the lily pad, little realizing I was about to have a fantastic experience. Most great experiences in your life don't have omens before they occur. They really don't. And I'm I'm casting away. My brother is sort of snoozing. He's he's just drifting off, and his his uh, line is trailing behind this boat. We're just drifting. We were, he was really drift fishing. He wasn't really trolling. And uh, he has a, a very light weight on his uh, on his worm that he's trailing, so it, it doesn't really trail deep into the water. It just trails about six feet deep, and we're drifting along there. Not much is happening. And I've had a couple of strikes up to this point. Well, I, I cast near a, a log. It was a log that was laying out. By the way, logs are very important to cast around if you're casting for bass because often a bass will lay in the shade of a log in shallow water. And uh, you, you, you should always cast uh, on the lee side of a log and uh, cast carefully. You don't want to make uh, you don't want to make a big sound one. And that's that's the essence of casting, by the way, to make your plug into the water with just a slight splat, just go tip like that. If it goes kabunk, forget it. Uh, but if it just goes plap, that attracts fish because it sounds like something has fallen in the water naturally, like a mouse or uh, uh, maybe a bug, a large insect, or something. You just so I, I was dropping the plug. Well, I'm casting around this log. It's beautiful. Just lovely day. And, and off in the distance, I hear this... Just a little sound of rolling thunder. Well, now, we were very close to shore. And if, uh, if we really got into any trouble at all, you know, it was a tremendous storm. And could we just paddle into shore, and that's it. And a few big drops. Just, you could just see this storm coming up from the west there. And it's, it's, there was a, this huge hill, just a, kind of a big sloping hill that went up. And this farmer had this white frame house with a couple of outbuildings, this big white house sitting right on the very peak of the hill, looking down at the lake. And it was absolutely, there was nothing around. I couldn't see anybody up there. I think I got in a couple of cows were wandering around down on the field and it was very bucolic, and hear this little thunder drifting along. Well, suddenly I got a, a slight, just a slight touch. Something slapped at the plug, dropped the plug. Occasionally a fish will do that. A fish will just uh, come up, see, because fish will not always bite because they're hungry, remember. A fish, fish will often bite because he's defending his area against something. Uh, occasionally he will just strike out of instinct. Something lands right by him and he just hit it. Uh, so they'll strike for various reasons. Uh, the last one of which is he's hungry, especially a large male bass. Uh, a large male bass is very uh, area conscious. If, you ever, if you've ever known anything about fish, you know that often a fish, particularly a game fish, is extremely uh, territorial oriented. He will defend his territory and often will stay in the same territory for years on end. And uh, just anything that comes in that area is a goner. I mean, just, uh, seriously. So he'll just strike at anything. Well, I just laid this plug down a couple of times. I'm first on the one side of the log, and I'm drifting around the other side. And I finally laid it in the, in the lee side of the log, and something hit it. Just, like that, just slapped at it. And it was just a little 
ripple, and I, I knew that something had made a pass at this thing, so I carefully retrieved Incidentally, many a, many a bass will do this. As you retrieve the plug, he will follow it. And, you know, just swim around and look at it and follow it. And, and uh, one of the commonest of, of uh, tricks that a bass will do, he will follow it right up to the boat and then uh, take a slap at it just as you're re- pulling it in. You, you figure it's all over this cast. You just, bam. Occasionally they'll actually hit one as you're bringing it in. I have actually seen bass, uh, when, when a guy has uh, reeled the plug in and he's about to lift the plug out of the water, He's about to make another cast. A, a bass will actually leap out of the water and literally follow the plug almost right into the boat. And there are cases where a bass will strike at that thing, miss the plug, and land in the boat. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's not often that it happens. But uh, I, I was casting away there, and I drifting along. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You'd hear this little slight thunder. And and uh, just as I laid the plug down on the second cast after this little boiling flick that the heat hit at it, this baby hit, a, a bass hit this thing. I'll tell you, it was like a minor atomic explosion. Now, many a bass, when he hits, will just pull a plug under. Uh, other times, a bass will hit uh, when the plug is uh, being retrieved, and he'll come up from behind it and hit and swim. But this guy struck the plug and struck it from below. He hit it from below, and he literally vaulted out of the water. He just went boom. It was a big explosion. This guy flipped over about three times in the water, and uh, over out of the water, just giant white uh, Vesuvius roared up there, and his baby hit the water. You know, just up like that, he, he, he... he just was barely hooked. He, he uh, obviously had the plug, but he flicked his head three or four times, just shaking his head. And you could hear the plug rattling. Now, that's something. When, when a bass, you know, the plug, <laughs> you hear the bass leap and the plug is rattling, and he, he just somersaulted about three times and landed in the water with a, with a giant splash, and he dove. So he dove down. My kid brother, whoa, 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 he hears this great roar, see. And I said, yeah, I said, get your line in quick. You know, you don't want to have all this tangle, see. Well, at that point, the the, the, the bass took off, and he, 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 he scooted out towards deep water, which, uh, by the way, many a bass will will have worked out over the years various techniques for, for, for blowing a line. So he he scooted out around the around the boat, headed for deep water. At that point, just as just as I set the hook, he turned around, came he, whistling back, leaped out of the water again, did a couple of big quick flips, and then he dove and headed for the log. You see, this is a this is a, he's about to break the line. See, so he headed for the log, and I am having a fantastic time with this fish. And and he went for the log. I'm hurriedly paying out line, you see. And, and at that point, he leaped up again, just a great roar up like that. And just as he did this, I mean, I'm having the, the biggest fish I ever saw in my life. Just as he did this, there's a tremendous kaboom, just like that, off to my left. And I glanced, and just as I glanced, I see the farmhouse 
going up in what looked like a giant explosion. Fantastic scene. The farmhouse has been hit apparently by lightning. And as it is as a hit, apparently there is a propane tank or something in there. This thing just went up like a like like the, the most fantastic fireworks you ever saw in your life. It just went boom went up it went like that. A great uh, roar of flame. And I see, you know, these cows are charging down the hill uh, trying to get away from this thing. It just frightened them. And I, I could just see this tremendous uh, mushroom cloud and the flames are bursting out of this house. At the same time, this bass keeps doing cartwheels in the water. So, and I can't believe anything. Well, just at that point, I could hear sirens coming from all over. Apparently, obviously, somebody had seen this happen somewhere else. Immediately put in the in the alarm and the, the volunteer fire department. Now in those little towns and places like Michigan, the fire departments are almost all volunteer, and there were a couple of little towns within a mile or so from this lake. And apparently the alarm went in immediately, and you could hear the the sound of the whistles calling the volunteer firemen. Have you ever heard that sound? They go ooh ooh ooh. It's going like that, and I hear I hear this siren coming, obviously police or something, this place is going up in this fantastic Vesuvius of flame, and there I am, I'm looking over my shoulder, you see, I'm seeing a scene like I never saw in my life, and, and I look back, every time I would turn to look at the at the house going up, you'd hear, oh, this bass, he didn't give a damn about the house, he is going up out of the water, well, everything went to hell, I want to tell you, everything just blew up like that, the bass took off, went right under the boat, bent my rod down, Kapow! My pride and joy. Dumb? Was that dumb? I guess total excitement, see. I had the brake on as he as he went under that thing. He broke my split bamboo rod so neatly in half you wouldn't believe it. It was my pride and joy. I had bought this rod after saving for it for oh, like a hundred years. He just broke that rod. Crackle! Bam! Like that. The house is exploding. <laughs> I sat there in this in this boat, and at that point, the the storm rolled right down over the end of the lake, lightning playing among the trees, just like uh, sparklers on the Fourth of July. And my kid brother is scared out of his skull. He's about two or three years younger than I am, and he's scared. He's sitting there. Let's get back. Let's get back. The house is blowing up, and I see these fire engines coming for for miles around. They're they're approaching me. God, I, I, I grab the paddle. I've got just the stump of my rod, and I go, I, I go struggling in towards the pier, which our house that we had rented, the cabin, was about a half mile down the lake there. And I could see my mother out there, but by now, you know, everybody in the lake is alerted to this fantastic explosion. And I'm paddling back, and there's my rod busted. The old man is standing out on the pier. He says, "Why you?" What are you doing out there in the rain? Why are you out there in the rain? Are you stupid? You come back. And I said, no. Well, I can't tell you what happened out there. I couldn't know. And he sees my rod. He says, now look at that. You broke your rod on top of everything else. It was a, probably the single greatest moment that ever happened to me in fishing. The rod, the plug, the explosion, the lake. Incidentally, curiously enough, my kid brother never liked fishing after that. <laughs> he really never did. <laughs> to this day, you know, he says, eh, you know. 
Now, at this point, every time I go fishing and every time I cast a plug out there, I expect all hell to break loose. And it's going to one day. Again, I know it. <laughs> I will probably have just cast a river rug when the first nuclear bomb goes off. Some of the names. How about Hawaiian Wiggler? You like that? How about the Daredevil? Not Daredevil, but the Daredevil with a, with a T. Daredevil. River Rock. How about the Pikey Minnow? Or the Jointed Pikey Minnow? The Wounded Minnow? Uh, how about the Sexy Mouse? This is WOR New York. And, uh, you know, if you'd like to lay a few plugs out in the water like that occasionally, be my guest. Stay tuned for In Conversation. <laughs>